You might be thinking, who is this Harry Potter girl? And what is she doing up on a stage at the UN? It's a good question. And trust me, I have been asking myself the same thing. I don't know if I am qualified to be here. All I know is that I care about this problem and I want to make it better. And having seen what I've seen and given the chance, I feel it's my duty to say something. English statesman Edmund Burke said, all that is needed for the forces of evil to triumph is for enough good men and women to do nothing. In my nervousness for this speech and in my moments of doubt, I told myself firmly, if not me, who? If not now, when? If you have similar doubts when opportunities are presented to you, I hope these words might be helpful. So that's Emma Watson. That's to Emma the Watson. <laughs> uh, welcome to another episode of Perspective. Today, a little bit different beginning since mm-hmm. I thought that this quote very much suits what we'll be talking about today, which is using your voice. Yes. Both figuratively and literally. So we we started with both, actually, because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because this was a speech for the launch of a He for She campaign that Emma Watson was the face of. And I f- think still is at that time. I I think she still is, too. I'm not sure now, but she was for a very long time. Yes. She was very committed to the cause. Yes. And she's still fighting for uh, the feminism and women in industry. And this is what I noticed recently that I don't know if this is a continuation of the campaign, but right now she's supporting all women companies or um, women fashion designs and also the design houses. But I don't know if I can call it the design houses that are promoting equal work, equal pay to everybody. So the humanitarian feminism slash equality work is all that in one wonderful human being as it's Emma Watson. Absolutely. Um, but we have other, also other examples. But... We will start from very close home, our small podcast. Oh, <laughs> because I was yes. wondering when we thought of the episode that we, for very very small amount and for very small amount of people, but both of us we are using our voice to to say something, hopefully to make a change. Yes, in general, to express what we are to a fullest and in that way to contribute maybe I don't know sometimes I feel that the greatest contribution to history humanity whatever to big things happen just when you're being yourself you know at the fullest yeah even if it's just a random conversation like this one I mean you might be contributing in some way some way that you might not even know or predict, of course, even a small way to something bigger. I completely agree. And you know, it's funny because this reminds me of, uh, okay, spoiler alert. Well, not really spoiler alert. I'm going to read to you the ending lines of a beautiful Victorian novel called Middlemarch, which was written by George Eliot, of course, one of the greatest Victorian novels ever to be written, one of the greatest novels in general to be written, in my opinion. And it 
reminded me of this conversation because it doesn't really spoil you the story, but it gives you a little bit of the feeling of the book. The main character, I would say, of the novel is called Dorothea, and these are the ending lines of Middlemarch, and it's about her. Her finely touched spirit had still its fine issues, though they were not widely visible. Her full nature, like the river of which Cyrus broke the strength, spent itself in channels which had no great name on the earth. But the effect of her being on those around her was incalculably diffusive, for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. So I think that this idea of using your voice doesn't have to be, you know, Emma Shouting. Watson, you know, going on, <laughs> yeah. you know, talking to the UN. It can also be contributing by being yourself to the lives of those around you. Well, for sure, because I think people are drawn. Okay, let me rephrase that. I know that I am drawn to people that at the surface seems to be themselves. To just essentially not care and just doing what they want to do because there's that genuine genuine honesty in that what they are doing and how they are behaving and how they are doing the stuff that it draws you in in that weird way that you don't know how it works or it's a mystery for me okay <laughs> it's very but you know i mean but i feel like if because I noticed sometimes that I may not like certain person and I don't really have a reason at the beginning because if I don't know anybody, I will not have a reason. But there's that feeling inside telling you that maybe this is not a best person to be around with. But of course, I will not be mean to people just because I have a feeling. Of course. Um, and I'll try to get to know a person more and more as much as I can. And there were instances when the feeling was true. And, of course, vice versa. There was a feeling when there was at the beginning, like, maybe not you're the greatest person ever, but I want to hang out with you. And then in the you line... You weren't so bad after all. <laughs> you weren't so bad after all. Or uh, maybe I should avoid you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. of course, th that feeling will not be correct at the beginning. But there is that... If you are truly, genuinely honest about you and about what you believe, what you do, I think that is very appealing to people in general. Yes, I quite agree. I think that transparency is something I am very drawn to in people. But I think what this whole conversation about using your voice is that being transparent seems like the most simple thing in the whole world. You know, you just take yourself and you just be that self that you are. And after two minutes, <laughs> you'll realize how <laughs> hard that is. Uh, yeah. It takes a lot of courage. And uh, I think, however, that as true 
as the statement hatred begets hatred and violence begets violence, it is also true that courage begets courage and love begets love and in general honesty begets honesty or it maybe it's me being naive but please let me let me dream okay and uh, <laughs> for this hour <laughs> yeah and um, I really really do think that it takes a lot of courage to understand that your small voice is important and even if you believe that what you have to say is completely chaotic and And uh, absolutely uninfluential. It doesn't mean it's not meaningful. And it doesn't mean that somebody else could share in that and uh, actually find courage themselves in that. Yeah, but that's I think that's the beauty of like the history in general because yes, you do need this loud, brave people to take over and be the voice of the revolution or be the voice of the change. But it begins with a spark. Always. Always. It begins with a spark. It begins with a small thing. It begins with you saying no or you saying yes, depending on the situation. And then it just grows slowly and slowly and sometimes it grows very quickly and you turn around... Two months, three months after, and you have a whole revolution behind your back. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, but also because we have the, the title is Using Your Voice, but I think not only voice matters in here, your action as well yes, are much Absolutely. I think included in that. That voice in the sense of translating your thoughts and your beliefs and principles into language also means that you're translating them into action. There are so many people that without speaking, speak so loudly. I mean, just think about Rosa Parks, honestly. I mean, that's the basic and most famous example of that. And I was when I was preparing for this episode, of course, I had so many examples of writers in mind because for them, it's hard to choose to speak when you could stay silent. And, uh, okay, this is maybe a long quotation, but I really, really wanted to read this because I think it's really important and I think people who are interested in this kind of topic might find it inspirational. These are words by Audrey Lord. She was a Caribbean-American activist, poet, writer. She was amazing, amazing in all sense. And at some point in her life, she was diagnosed with uh, cancer. Fortunately, it turned out to be benign, but in those months while she didn't know that this cancer was benign and she, that, that she was going to uh, recover from it, she started thinking a lot about her mortality and uh, the nature of human beings and, you know, reflecting a little bit on wider scopes. And these are her words. And I think, well, I'll just let her say whatever she had to say. Some of what I experienced during that time has helped elucidate for me much of what I feel concerning the transformation of silence into language and action. And that's why I thought about this when you talked about this. 
And she goes on, in becoming forcibly and essentially aware of my mortality and of what I wished and wanted for my life, however short it may be, priorities and omissions became strongly etched in a merciless light, and what I most regretted were my silences. Of what had I ever been afraid? To question or to speak, as I believed, could have meant pain or death. She was a civil rights activist. So she, when she says death, she means death. <laughs> But we all hurt in so many different ways all the time. And pain will either change or end. Death, on the other hand, is the final silence. And that might be coming quickly, now, without regard for whether I had ever spoken what needed to be said or had only betrayed myself into small silences while I planned someday to speak or waited for someone else's words. And I began to recognize a source of power within myself that comes from the knowledge that while it is most desirable not to be afraid, learning to put fear into perspective gave me great strength. I was going to die, if not sooner than later, whether or not I had ever spoken myself. My silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. But for every real word spoken, for every attempt I had ever made to speak those truths for which I am still seeking, I had made contact with other women while we examined the words to fit a world in which we all believed, bridging our differences. What are the words you do not yet have? What do you need to say? What are the tyrannies you swallow day by day and attempt to make your own until you will sicken and die of them still in silence? And of course I am afraid, because the transformation of silence into language and action is an act of self-revelation, and that always seems fraught with danger. But my daughter, when I told her of our topic and my difficulty with it, said, Tell them about how you're never really a whole person if you remain silent, because there's always that one little piece inside you that wants to be spoken out. And if you keep ignoring it, it gets madder and madder and hotter and hotter. And if you don't speak it out one day, it will just up and punch you in the mouth from the inside. In the transformation of silence into language and action, it is vitally necessary for each one of us to establish or examine her function in that transformation and to recognize her role as vital within that transformation. And she goes on to say that for writers, so for those of us who write, it is necessary to scrutinize not only the truth of what we speak, but the truth of that language by which we speak. For others... It is to share and spread also those words that are meaningful to us. But primarily for us all, it is necessary to teach by living and speaking those truths which we believe and know beyond understanding. Because in this way alone we can survive, by taking part in a process of life that is creative and continuing, that is growth. And that is beautiful. But I was thinking, because... As I said in previous episodes, I really enjoy watching uh, George Carlin, It's Too Bad For You, um, his stand-up uh, routine, his last stand-up routine recorded. And he says something that it hurt me when he s first said it. And now I'm trying not to 
live the same way um, now. Because he said that we stopped teaching kids how to question things. And while we were reading, I was thinking about it. And sometimes we really do because the silence sometimes that people are creating or sustaining in this case is the silence just because they are either afraid or they don't know what questions to ask, how to question, ask why, why this, why that, why are you behaving like this, why did you decide to do this? And that question why is so simple, yet so complicated sometimes. Yeah, because it's, it's what breaks the surface, you know? On the surface, you are part of this big thing called society and you follow the rules, not just the rules of, you know, you cross the street when it's green, you don't cross the street when it's red. The rules as in, I don't know, you don't talk to drug addicts because they're dangerous people, that kind of rules. But then when you ask yourself the question, why don't we talk to drug addicts, then maybe you will start that journey of self-revelation in which you will maybe find that you're, you don't agree with it, or maybe that you do agree with it, but at least that you're going to follow your own voice, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I, I don't know, like, well, first, as every topic, this is one of the most complicated topic, and of course we chose it for a podcast because it would not be us. But do you think that sometimes people are not asking the question why because of they are afraid of the answer or they are afraid of the reaction of everybody else? I think most people don't ask that question because they never wonder about it, really. I think that most people don't ask it because they're not interested in seeing a different reality. They don't question the reality they're presented with. So they're not, they're not having a conflict with what they're seeing. Um, that is, for me, the majority of people. Then there is the next stage, which is people who do question it, but are scared to voice that question. But that, for me, is already a better, <laughs> I mean, quote-unquote, sta stage in the sense that a person who is afraid to express their doubts is a person that eventually, at least for me, will express them because doubts will start to eat them from the inside. So either they do or they die. I mean, not physically, but mentally yeah they will start to really yield to their doubts so i think that a person that is just afraid to ask the question or to know the answer or to see the reaction in others is a person that is just waiting for the moment when they will ask the question but the problem for me is the people that don't wonder about it at all really i always wonder because There's so many people that whenever they would say like, oh, but like this is okay, this is normal, 
And I would ask why, because I'm curious. I'm a curious person uh, in general. I'm like a cat. I will poke everything. <laughs> and they're maybe not taken back, but they will be like, because why? it's normal. Yeah, why are and you why troubling not? my reality? Why are you putting this into question? Yeah, mm -hmm. and for me, it's always amazing how people take everything It's not even granted for, it's not even like f that there will be that for until the end, but it's amazing how for me they will not change their little bubble that they're living in. Because that bubble, that bubble was leaving my grandfather, my grandmother, my parents. I will live like that and my children will live like this. There's nothing wrong with it. But why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's that why not? Or because I want to. And that's it. There's no further thinking. And the conversation always cuts. Because if they don't have an answer, I, I cannot ask another question, mm. <laughs> essentially. But it is interesting how people react to that question. Yes, it is. Well, you will take them a little by surprise, you know, of course. But that's what, I mean, I'm thinking about figures, not only in history, but also figures that I've met in my life that have used their voices as small as they were to bring into the world whatever they thought was what they needed to bring into the world. And... All of these people, what they did was putting into question, of course. I mean, I'm thinking especially of, I don't know, I had a professor in high school. He was my history and philosophy teacher. He wasn't a nice guy at all. He wasn't kind. He wasn't compassionate at all. He was uh, crude and rough, and sometimes even rude. But he never, ever told us something he didn't think, ever. And he didn't want us to be, you know, fakes. He wanted us to think about things and to say things the way we thought them, even if we weren't agreeing with him. And he was one of the people who changed my life, for sure, because before I had never thought that I could behave that way and that it was important. So you see, he came into my life and he put into question something that I never put into question before. But think about, I don't know, Martin Luther King or something. Um, these people that decided that for them the best way to fight against violence was through nonviolence. Whoa! I mean, it might seem simple to you, said like that, but it really isn't. I mean, it could open whole universes to people. So I think that all the people who use their voices, whoever they are, be they political leaders or teachers or parents or... I don't know, like woodworkers or radio speakers or 
or just people who take care of small animals in the woods. I don't know. I think that they all come to question something in a way. And about questioning, while I was looking for stuff, and actually I was looking for stuff for a different episode, I found a video with Morgan Freeman when he said this. You know, as I said, I went to the movies all the time. I've seen the movies. And at some point, it stuck dramatically how much I wasn't in the movies, not in the way I needed to be in the movies. And if you look at a lot of disaster movies in that period, and like, let's state for people like Morgan Freeman has some years. Uh, He started in 80s to appear. Mm -hmm. So just put that in mind. And if you look at a lot of disaster movies in that period, the only people left on the planet were white. So now my thing I get in the movies, I want to make sure that I speak about that. If I am able to do it, I want to be able to talk about it. So there was a period uh, there in early years when I didn't get any work because I would ask these questions. I auditioned. No, I don't think I even got an audition. I interviewed for the movie, The Thing, the remake. And side note, this is a 1992 movie. So I read the script and I go back for the audition and the producer or the director, uh, one of those said, did you read the script? And I said, yes. What did you think? And I said, well, if you have 11 people at the South Pole, eight of them scientists, and you have a cook, a mechanic, and something else, they're all black. None of the scientists are. What do you think I think? Needless to say, I didn't get that job. And essentially he was saying that there is a little bit more into the quote that he made sure from the very early beginning, and this is 80s in USA, and he was black. That meant a lot and not in a good way for him at that time. And he said from the very beginning he was fighting Because uh, later he said that I need something that is going to engage me, that makes me sit up and think. I refused, and this is the important part, I refused to take part in something that is going to denigrate your people, especially me. That's wonderful. That's. I think that's when we were talking about questioning things. Yes, yes. That is the prime example of a wonderful human being. Yes, I agree. (laughs) That was fighting from the very beginning. Yeah, because using your voice very often means questioning and also in the sense of saying something that before didn't exist, at least at a public conversation level. And you know, this reminds me very much of Lauren Hill. So the miseducation of Lauren Hill came out in 1998. That's 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. And uh, since then, she never released a solo album in 20 years. And I remember 
reading interviews and hearing interviews of uh, Hale, where she basically said, I don't want to produce an album every four years like everybody does just to make money. I know I can produce music, but I don't I don't want just to produce music. I want to produce something meaningful. And to produce something meaningful, I need experience. I need to live. I don't want to indulge this kind of system where money is the only thing that needs to be made. When I want to say something, I have a voice. I have a public voice. People listen to me. I am not going to use that voice except to say something that I believe is very meaningful. And so she's been silent for 20 years. And I think that is amazing because, you see, she refused, as Morgan Freeman did, to do something that would uh, denigrate who she was and who she is, apparently, because she still (laughs) continues not to release anything. So I think that all these people take very seriously the act of speaking up. And by speaking up, I don't only mean saying things again. It's about language, but especially about action and about example most of the time. And I think that using your voice means questioning. Yes, it means saying something that hasn't been really dealt with on the public conversation. So maybe even saying something, addressing something that people are afraid to address. And, you know, there is this uh, Mexican-American writer. His name is Luis Alberto Urrea. And he's a really funny guy. He's um, an English professor somewhere in the United States. And he has written different things, novels, poetry, essays. And very recently he was um, on one of the podcasts I mentioned uh, most and one of the podcasts I love most which is on being and uh, he talks about this poem of his entitled you who seek grace from a distracted god and it's from poetry collection entitled the Tijuana book of the dead and he says the first line of the first poem is you who seek grace are from a distracted God. And the last line of the last poem is, you are not forgotten. Hence, in my mind, this is the world's longest sentence. And it's all about God or about yearning. And so this is a poem that was inspired by anti-immigrant rhetoric. And it's a journey through the first hours of the morning of people desperately trying to get to work. And this is an echo of my own mornings, taking many buses to many awful jobs. And so you're standing in the downtown plaza and you're standing with all the people there. And the quotation starts. In tedium, you walk silent, counting your manifold sins to the plaza, stand in the crush of your family, these children heading for trade school, the wheelchair man, the woman in her shopping cart, the nodding hooker with blue tears on her cheek, paisanos y borrachos, ticos, boricuas, chicanos, apaches, tainos, habaneras, cariocas, mayas, tattooed cholo samurai, and inscrutable leaning back, hushed as he watches you. And you want to, 
you really want to, you're bursting with it, you're burning with it, you who have no words want to cup their cheeks in your hand, you want to hold their faces between your palms, you want to say it, say it, you have nothing to lose, just say it, say, I love you, 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 I love you. And Urea goes on to explain, partially, it's really hard to say I love you a lot to people, I think. But you want to say it. We all want to say it. But we can't. And I deal with so many kids who can't tell their story. And they don't think anybody loves them. They think nobody cares. They think everybody hates them. They're waiting to be thrown out of the country or their mothers to vanish. So part of it is talking to people who need to say it more. Part of it is talking to myself to say, don't be a coward, tell people you love them. And part of it is, I'm often talking to 600 kids, not you adults, and I tell them, I love you. I love you all. Because somebody's got to. You've got to. If I could have a radio show, I would just read them a story every night and tell them I love them. So, you see... I think it's really about breaking, but also sewing in some way. Do you think that using your voice is partly using yourself as well? Yes, I think so. And that's why many people who are committed to causes who are making their lives endangered will decide to to follow their own cause instead of actually, you know, growing and living a life. Think of all those political activists who had to sacrifice their lives literally and metaphorically to the cause they were committed to. So I do think that at some point there are some if you are committing your voice to something that is dangerous enough then you need to realize that you are using yourself, of course. But what about, because of course, if we are talking about political stuff, there's plenty of danger there. But using your voice like in everyday life, meaning sticking to your gut, sticking to what you want to do versus what everybody else wants to do, do you think that in those small little battles, we are also losing ourselves in, in that. I don't know if that's clear enough, but... I think it's clear in the sense that maybe, again, we're giving ourselves up for something, maybe, even in our very small quests, you know? I think it depends in the sense that for me personally, when I do something I'm really committed to can be something very small. I don't feel like the cause, let's say call it like that, or the quest is separate from me in the sense that I am doing something that 
belongs to myself, something that is very coherent with myself. So in that sense, I don't feel like I am losing myself to something which is higher than me. I am actually expanding myself. I am, that is myself. But again, I don't feel like I could commit myself, at least for now, seeing the current situation to something that would make me feel that way, make me feel as if I would be giving myself up to something higher. Have you ever felt that way? Now I'm trying to look back in my memory. I have topics, maybe not general, but kind of like questions or situations that I will ask why to the very last drop of the person that I'm talking with. And I will not accept their philosophy or their argument until everything from A to Z, every small little detail, every single letter will be logically accepted by the society. And to explain that uh, of the good part of the society. But there are very few things, I think, that, or even none, that I would be able to kind of lose the life to fight for the cause. I will do it in the small ways of my ways, but I was never committed to the cause in a way that some people are. But the one thing that I will fight for, I will never accept somebody putting words in my mouth. That is the one battle that I will fight until the end. And this is, I think this is my higher cause at mm. the moment. But this is coming from the histories, from my history, personal history. There were so many things and people around me that they were not genuine and they were not honest and I would not call them bad people as we argued that there is no bad people in the episode before but at that moment they were my enemies my personal enemies that right now I will fight for every bad image that somebody is trying to create around me but I also know where to stop this is weird and difficult <laughs> yes it is because I also know sometimes that there are some battles that I need to give up because they're pointless meaning the person or the group that I'm talking to or with they will never give up their opinion yes and this is punching a wall with bare hands I will not do that I want my hands Yes, normal. But then again, I don't know if that's the proper way of using your voice. I think that if the quintessence of you is asking questions, then asking questions is using your voice. I don't think there is one way of using your voice. I mean, I consider using your voice doing something that will bring something to others, something that you believe is meaningful. 
It might be anything. It might be, I don't know, an acrobat or, I don't know, a ballerina following their passion to become an acrobat or a ballerina and feeling exalted on that stage when they feel that the audience is getting beauty or wonder from their performance. They are releasing something that they deem is beautiful and powerful and meaningful to the world. And that, for me, is also using your voice. It's just expressing yourself to the fullest in order for you to feel that you have contributed in the best possible way. So if your way to contribute is to ask questions, by all means, go on asking questions. It can be anything. It can be really anything. It can be you taming tigers. It can be you writing novels. It can be you leading a great country. It can be you trying to solve the conflict between your kids. It can be anything, really. But it's just your way to bring something meaningful to the world. And this is why we have the podcast. <laughs> it is. It is. The main idea was the question. Absolutely. I think that what's most important is that whatever you want to do, even if you feel that your vocation, let's call it like that, is, I don't know, repairing chairs... Okay, if you want to repair chairs. And that is something that you do with so much love that every single person that sits on your chairs is amazed by how beautiful and ergonomic and elegant and wonderful they are. Then do it. Who cares if everybody else thinks it's useless or not meaningful to the world? It is. It is. Whatever you want to do, really. And, you know, once... Toni Morrison wrote this uh, article, and it was just after the election of George W. Bush as president of the United States, so it was 2004. It's a long essay, a long article, but at some point, these words, I mean, they're just amazing. I mean, she's a Nobel, you know, <laughs> literature prize, so of course. At some point, she wrote, there is no time for despair. No place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. And she wrote this because after the election of uh, George W. Bush, she became completely depressed and she didn't want to write anymore. And she realized that that's not what you need to do. What you need to do in times of crisis, especially in times of crisis, is to use your voice. In her case, it's literature. If you're the chair repairer, repair chairs. Do what you do. Just do it with love, whatever you wanted to do. Do whatever expands you as a human being, because the moment you do that you the moment you give time and power to what expands you as a human being everybody else will be affected even in a very small way even if you're one of those unvisited graves that george Eliot was talking about you're going to affect people in a good way and that's what matters i believe so just have the courage to own whatever you are, and just just release it into the world. 
use your voice, even if it's not your voice in the sense of literally speaking, you want to be a mime, be a mime. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I think that's the only way we can contribute to this world. And to go to a darker use of voice, of course, because uh, this is a side note story. Once uh, a long time ago, uh, we were recording word politics for Mushtar that we are w- both working. Uh, and my topic was the This is America song from Childish Gambino. That is a piece of using your voice. And questioning. And questioning and bringing to attention and just everything. So if you live under the rock, because the moment it came out, there was, oh my God, everybody was speaking about it. And at the beginning, because I'm a kind of person that if everybody speaks about it, I will avoid it usually. Mm -hmm. But this stuck to me. And I was like, okay, I will watch it. And oh my God. What emotion and uh, surprise and everything was that. So I tried to find some good explanation, video articles for that. It's almost not possible because either people will focus on the music video itself or their lyrics itself. So it's very hard to find something that will combine it two together. So what you end up doing is reading 5,000 articles <laughs> to just gather the idea of what the hell is going on. But that's, I would say right now, because that was from what I read uh, today, the article, it was recorded around April this year, so 2018. And I think that this is America. More than that, this is not just America, but specifically because there was a big part of that was the gun violence and USA, unfortunately, is one of the countries where the gun violence in a non-war country, I would add that, on their land, non-war country, has a lot of problems with And oh my, people were impressed that he did it because that whole video is... Well, as I said before and as Audre Lorde wrote, the path of transformation of silence into language into action is an act of self-revelation. And revelation is always dangerous because it destabilizes appearances. What he did there was exactly that. He just took a mirror and he placed it on the face of America. And um, it was absolutely amazing. But it was true. It was absolutely true. And I don't think we ask of art, of passion, of commitment to entertain us. We ask them to be true, even if it's a really rough truth. And that's what he did. But that's how you use your voice properly. Good job, Charles Gambino, really. (laughs) Amazing. I want to ask you a question, 
Go for it. the end of the episode. Can you think of people in the showbiz or in your life that you are grateful to have met because they used their voice and uh, they showed, they opened a path for you? I will start with the difficult one of the show business. I think, well, since I followed Emma Watson from not very beginning, but well, I would say very beginning of her humanitarian work. She's that person that always amazed me um, of what next she will think of to do for the humanity. And I always think like, okay, she cannot top that. And she does. Every single time. I agree. Um, so that probably would be the one. Somebody that I also followed almost from very, very beginning, very early days was Demi Lovato as well. And her documentary that she released a couple of months ago, uh, it's simply complicated. And I think this is also... Uh, subtitle of using the, your voice. It's simply complicated. And the story that she she got through of her addiction and mental illnesses and all of that and family problems as well. I think this is one of the few persons that first of all, right now, after all of the horrors and the lies that uh, she was telling uh, to fans as well and to family and to everybody that right now she's trying to live her true self. That doesn't mean letting paparazzis to every corner, by the way. Just a side note. But she's honest in what she's doing and why she's doing um and also fighting for, well, in her case, the mental institutions to help, to actually help. So I think that would be the two people right now that I still follow to this day. When I started being early teenager. Oh my God, that's so long ago. <laughs> I just realized my age. <laughs> You're so young. Magda yeah. complains, but she's very young. <laughs> yeah, my history is old, though. Um, old souls. We're all old yes. souls in the studio. Yeah. And I think in the real life... Hmm. Okay, so first one will be a little bit different because it's not about sticking to what they say or how they behave but it's more what I was taught and told as well it's my mom she taught me from very beginning that people are people and people are normal no matter who and I think that was I didn't realize how big that lesson was until recently and I would say two more people that I admire to see what they're doing is one of one of them is the guest that was here before of course uh, Shama is one of the 
the fronts that I I didn't realize how much I needed to meet that kind of person until I met them. That's also the strange kind of type of people that you will encounter in, uh, in your life. And another person that I met, and also this is the only one of the only reasons that I apply for EVS in general was uh, Elsa and my sending organization. I think these these are the two people recently that I'm very grateful for meeting, <laughs> for sure. What about you? It's <laughs> a very hard question. Actually, I know. I had to funny. answer that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I ask questions because I'm curious to know what Magda's answer will be. But I never think that then she's going to return the question to me. Because I must say that for the show business part, there are a lot of inspirational figures that have used their voices in very different ways. Dancers, just think about Pina Bausch, Martha Graham. Uh, these people were absolutely amazing. And all they did was basically just take what they had in their head and in their hearts and put it out there. And that for me is amazing and inspirational and uh really i admire them very much uh there are a lot of musicians who do that too um or who have done it in the past just really pouring their beliefs in their art painters photographers think about sebastião salgado all these people photo reporters who go every day on uh, war scenes and just to take pictures of refugees. I admire them so much because they are using their voice or their cameras or whatever to bring something amazing, even if most of the time it's quite, you know, soul-wrenching uh, to the world. In my life, I must say, I was very lucky. I was really very lucky because most... I mean, all of my closest friends were people who don't compromise themselves. They try to better themselves, but that's different. And definitely the one person who does this the most is my best friend, Chechi. She is incredible because she knows she has limited power as a human being and limited influence in the sense that she cannot reach everybody on the planet But the people she can reach using the power that she has, she always brings something good to other people. And that for me is absolutely amazing. She's the most amazing and wonderful and admirable person I have ever met. And she reminds me every day that people like her exist in the world. And most of all, these people, but especially her, remind me that I want to deserve these people. They make me want to be a better person. And that's what you can do by using your voice. You can make others want to be their best version of themselves too. I think that's the people that we should have around us. That Those people that you will try your damn hardest to be the best version of yourself because you know that... And it's not... And it's a very tricky line because it's the best version of yourself, but not forcing for 
just that particular person, but in general, trying your damn hardest to be a better person because you've met them and because you have them in your life, but not just for their appearance. If that's understandable for everybody, I hope so, because <laughs> today and today's episode is quite complicated one and I have to explain myself a lot today. So, But that was clear. I hope that yeah. was very clear. So we encourage you, of course, to use your voice in your everyday life. Do your damn hardest to be the best version of yourself, if not for somebody else, then for you. Take as one step per day. That's Sometimes that's enough. And as always, you can write to us. You can share your opinion. Uh, we are actually quite curious about this one. Yeah, we really want to know what you think. <laughs> so so uh, write to us, give us review, whatever, however you want. And we will see you next episode next week. Thank you for listening.